Well, good evening, everyone, friends in Christ. Today is a very special day. This is the day the whole church comes to a time of remembering Jesus' Passover from death to life, and our life in Christ is renewed. And so this evening, uh, as we begin the holy season by acknowledging our need for repentance and for God's mercy, we are created to experience joy in communion with God. Uh, we are created to love one another. We are created to live in harmony with creation. But unfortunately, uh, our sinful rebellion separates us from God, from our neighbors, and also from creation, so that we do not enjoy the life that Christ intended for us to enjoy. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are called to a discipline that contends against evil and resists whatever leads us from love of God and neighbor. And so on this Ash Wednesday, I invite you therefore to the discipline of Lent, and that is self-examination, repentance, prayer, fasting, sacrificial giving, and works of love. And all these are strengthened by the gifts of word and sacrament. So let us continue our journey as we go through these 40 days to the great three days of Jesus' death and also of his resurrection. So let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his loss. Let him return unto the God, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty. And so this evening as we come, we do earnestly repent we are heartily sorry for all these our misdoings. And the remembrance of them is grievous upon us. And so have mercy. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past. And grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life. To the honor and glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And together would you pray with me the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Out of the depths I cry to thee, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let my ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. And so I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope is in the name of the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And we read that from Psalm 130. Our scripture lesson this evening comes to us from 2 Corinthians. And we're going from verse uh, 511, and it goes all the way uh, from 511 to um, uh, 6.13. So 2 Corinthians 5.11 through 6.13. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. But we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearances and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And for the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that the one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and who was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And all this is from God. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is, in Christ, God was reconciling to the world and to himself, not counting your trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. And since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he had made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain, for he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. And on a day of salvation, I have helped you. And see, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. 
We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have committed ourselves in every way, through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness and spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and disarm, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see, we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our afflictions, but only in yours. In return, I speak to children. Open wide your hearts also. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word as Paul address the church in Corinth. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations that are received from all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord our God and our Creator. By the power of the Holy Spirit, drive away the chaff that the kernels are behind my truly nourish us. And we ask this in peace and comfort of the Holy Gospel. Amen. You know, have you ever, sometimes you get a song that gets in your, your mind. And it gets so deep inside your head, it just, you just can't seem to uproot it. And maybe it is the melody or, or maybe it's the mood that is evoked by its musical qualities. Maybe it's the themes, maybe it's the ideas that find expression in its lyrics. And if it happens to be both the music and also the lyrics, then it's perfectly matched to each other. And then when you have that happen, the effect is particularly strong. And such songs have the ability to become a, a reoccurring soundtrack in our lives. <coughs> well, one of those songs that comes to my mind is Carrie Livgren's The Dust and the Wind. You know, I, I first heard this song some 46 years ago. It was released in 1977. And I can't think of an Ash Wednesday that has gone by without that song being the tune that I just can't seem to get out of my head. I close my eyes, only for a moment, and then the moment's gone. All my dreams, they pass before my eyes, dust in the wind, all they are, is dust in the wind. You know, certainly no Christian hymn probably captures any better Ash Wednesday liturgical refrain. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
And as I repeat those words with the imposition of, of ashes on each of your foreheads playing inside my own head is the same old song. We're just a, a drop of water in an endless bucket. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. You know, certainly dust in the wind captured the essential angst of my generation. The cultural dominant materialistic philosophy has told us that we were literally nothing more than cosmic dust that was shaped by physical and, and, and evolutionary forces. And even though Christian faith rejects materialistic reductionism, the Ash Wednesday liturgy just as certainly intends to inescapably confront us. Browbeat is probably not too harsh a description. And with the harsh reality of our mortality and our, our utter need for redemption, but is the message of Ash Wednesday really that all we are is dust in the wind? Must we pass through this doorway to Lent and all its remaining 40 days until Easter before we hear any suggestion of good news? There's a movie, it's called The Passion of the Christ. It's a helpful movie to consider for Ash Wednesday and for Lent. And if you haven't seen it, I can assure you there is nothing pretty about it. But our faith isn't based on pretty. Every time I finish reading a gospel, I'm horrified with all the beatings and the whippings and the humiliation that Jesus suffered. It's not pretty, but it's real. No matter what skeptics in the ancient or the modern world might say, Christianity isn't a religion anyone would make up. Considering what Christianity, Christianity originally meant, and not the Christian's faith styrofoam substitute in America promising that Faith will make everybody wealthy and wealthy and wise and healthy. Christianity is about Jesus' dying and dying a very painful death for us. And our life changed in his pattern. Who'd make that up? You know, we humans, we always want it to be, we want life to be easy. Our affluent society today merely raises our desires further. Today, the pressure's becoming greater for us to seek pleasure, the, the bigger, the better, the swankier. Even spiritual and religious marketing tries to sell us the religious equivalence of skydiving, and bungee jumping, feeling good, getting thrilled. In our modern world, especially what's sold to us in various media, is like a, it's like a, a, a constant Mardi Gras. In the U.S. anymore, Mardi Gras, except for the calendar, has really nothing to do with Lent. 
If someone on the night before Lent wants to truly celebrate something about Jesus, it wouldn't be Mardi Gras. You see, Lent isn't supposed to be a funny ha-ha time. Nothing will glorify God if we're morbid. But our faith isn't a religious Disneyland either. Trust must come, call it Lent or, or a retreat or a reassessment when we become serious about our faith. Time must come, so, so why not now? As Paul writes in the letter to the Corinthians in verse two, now is the, is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of our salvation. Our seriousness about faith comes about because of Jesus' life and death for us. We might desire ease, but Jesus bestows upon us a courage to live for him. We might want congratulations or at least recognition and thanks for our serving. Jesus grants us his example his love and his spirit. Our world's view of importance is summed up in the question, if you're smart, then how come you ain't rich? Apply that to Jesus as well as to Paul the apostle. They weren't rich. Paul makes a point of stating Jesus' poverty on our behalf and mentioning his own poverty for the sake of his fellow Christians. In the middle of his second letter to the church of Corinth in Greece, Paul relates how others view him and yet how he really is as having nothing and yet he possesses everything. After all, you know, Paul is, is working as a tent maker. Manual labor was respected by the Hebrews, but it was despised by the Latin and the Greek speakers in the Roman colony to which he writes. And so daily Paul works for a living so that, so that he can share with others Jesus' gifts of eternal life. I mean, the guy's got calluses on his hands, slivers in his fingers. I imagine his back is just full of pain. He seems pitiful, at least worthless in the upper crust of the world. I imagine if they had a daily newspaper, nobody would spotlight him for an article in the Sunday's parade. Paul doesn't, must seem like just any other homeless drudge. He doesn't have a permanent home, little family that he ever mentions. He has no money, he has no possessions. And wherever he goes, he gets into trouble. He's often landing himself into prison. He's despised by most of the Gentiles. He's despised by most of the Jews. In every Roman calling, there are plenty of people around just like him. There's just like the dust, the wind blows in. And Paul, presents two views of himself and his small group of Christian missionaries. One view is how non-Christians see them and the other is from the perspective of the Christian faith. 
poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. And he shows the human opinion and the divine. He relates the worldly assessment of the, of the Christian faith and also of the eternal one. And he expresses the great mystery that Christians are considering as dying, yet we are alive. And that's our central belief. Dying doesn't end our faith. It doesn't end our lives. And that's what Jesus' bloody last week in Jerusalem is about and why, <clears throat> why we concentrate on it during Lent. Lent should make us very serious about our faith, but not about ourselves. And so I'm going to invite you at the, at the end of my message to come forward and to receive a cross of ashes on your forehead. And I'm gonna speak some ancient words to you. I'm gonna say, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And we remember that we are assembled from just a handful of elements that make up all of life. If we view humans within the entire sphere of earthly life except for our brain, there is not much distinctive about us. Our bodies, they harness the energy of a lot of carbon compounds. You can wring the water from us. However, we're not too different from dust and ashes. You know, dust like you battle when you're out cultivating a field on a windy day, or like you breathe as as uh, you fight the wind on, on Main Street in late winter. Ashes like the ashes, the breeze always seemed to, to spiral around when we go camping. We have a campfire built, gets into our eyes. Or like the ashes that remain after you're cremated. Remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. It's how we started. And it's also how we're going to end. We start as basic elements and we end that way. Dust and ashes are the two extremes of our life. At our beginning and at our end, we're helpless. And the helplessness of birth and the helplessness of death. Can you picture what you look like as you came from your mother's body, all helpless, all vulnerable? And then can you picture yourself dying, taking your last breath, and nothing that you can do anymore to control yourself or others or the world? We live between these two moments of helplessness. And yet, right here we are, and we've been summoned to be faithful. In the 1950s, Dr. Tom Dooley was in the United States Navy. He was picking up Vietnamese refugees that were fleeing from the North. 
And they had to, they had to beat the day set by treaty when immigration would end. And one group of Vietnamese rescued at sea told how they escaped by folks from their village and by help of them. And after months of planning, they had set out on this moonless night from 11 o'clock until one in the next morning. They were out individually. They went out in pairs. They slipped out of their homes. They went into boats. And then at the other end of the village, there was a, land, a man, a lad, young man, named May Von Tim. May Von Tim. And as they were sneaking out, this young man, he started singing really loud, created all kinds of a disturbance. And so the police set off to figure out what is going on, who is, who's, who's doing all this. They go to investigate the noise. And when they're going to investigate the noise that he's making, all these folks sailed and they made it out to international waters. More than a hundred people squeezed into vessels that normally held about 25. And they fled for their lives. And they thought of May. And May's father and mother had already been killed in the war. And he was a leader of the Christian youth movement. And his punishment for diverting the police on that night, so that others could escape, was kind of like that of the Lord Jesus. On the afternoon of January 16, 1953, he was tied to a tree, he was beaten half out of his life, and then splashed with gasoline, burned to death. So how do you explain that kind of love and sacrifice except by comparing it to Christ's divine offensive of love. But Mayman Thin's life and faith doesn't end with his death, nor does ours. Our faith heads us toward an early morning's discovery in a garden outside of Jerusalem, those old walls, and there was Jesus. He was covered with bruises and blood and dust on Friday morning. But by Sunday afternoon, he would pass through locked doors. He would appear and then he would disappear. And he would grant his presence and the grace of eternal life to any who would respond to him. You see, that is whom we follow. That is whom we obey. That is who we trust. That is who we emulate. A risen Lord Jesus who still has holes in his hands and in his side. The world around us is just like a constant Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras parade. But we Christians, we have our own parade that leads us through this life from beginning to end, from God unto God. 
we follow Jesus. And he started as this little baby, little helpless infants. He's all rubbery and ugly. But just like the rest of us. But yet he was born and he cared for within God's purpose and promise. And so also his death, again, was truly bloody. And none of us, no matter what war we've experienced, what disasters we've survived, or what violent video games we've played, would want to watch what happened to him in his torture. And friends, no matter what some well-meaning person may have told you, Jesus was dead. Soldiers in the Roman legions, they knew death. The squad of four that guarded Jesus as he died would have been killed had Jesus not been truly dead. Jesus was dead. Jesus was just as dead as, as, as Mavon time. Jesus was just as dead as Paul was poor. But yet, as Jesus' death isn't the last word, neither is Paul's poverty. As Jesus' death isn't the last word, so the ashes of Mavan's hymn didn't blow aimlessly into an empty, uncaring universe. And neither does our ashes. We live by the faith that God has made us and he loves us. And that, even though we might be constituted of the same elements as any other DNA-controlled organism, we're also made out of the same dust as the stars are. The same God who swirled around the vast universe of cosmic dust into suns and planets and moons also created our earth and our bodies. We are that important. We are valuable. We are that worthwhile to God. And through Jesus, we belong to the God of the universe, whether we live or whether we die. Made of dust, yes but also from the same stuff as stars and with a destiny beyond this world. And so now we're, we're entering into Lent. And during Lent, we face the brevity of our life and our impending death as we also encounter the great dignity and destiny God has created for each of us. In Lent, we're allowed and encouraged to study under the Apostle Paul, to emulate his service by giving more of our time and, and possessions to help others. In Lent, we are invited and we are commanded to follow God's Son and to replicate his pattern of sacrifice for others. Paul says we are dying but yet we live. Jesus promises because I live, you also 
will live. So starting in Lent, if we haven't before, let us be serious about God and what God says about life. Let's not be over serious about ourselves. We'll let Jesus be concerned about us. We'll celebrate our earthly beginning and our heavenly goal by being humble, grateful, and obedient. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we what a beautiful night to be together to begin our, our Lenten time as we come together on Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday, this is the time we come together with our sackcloth, our mourning faces, because we're, we're sorry. This is a time we repent of the things that have happened and the things that we want to change. Repent means change. Be sorry for what's happened. Learn from it and not let it happen anymore. And so this is our time of Lent. This is our time when we cumber and we, we come together and we, we self-examine ourselves. And so, Lord, be with us this evening. And as we come forward to receive the imposition of the ashes, as we come forth with our sackcloth, as we receive the ashes, we just pray, Lord, that you will be with us and we'll feel your Holy Spirit in a very special way. So, Almighty God, you hast taught us in the life and teaching of thy Son the way of true blessedness and has shown us in his suffering and death that the path of love may lead to a cross. Give us grace to learn these hard lessons to take up our cross and to follow Christ in strength, patience, and being consistent of faith through the same thy son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so on this evening, I would invite you to come forward to uh, receive the imposition of the ashes. Uh, if you're not accustomed to doing this or haven't done it before, you simply come forward and I will take some of the ashes. These are, these, what these are are palms from a previous Palm Sunday that have been dried out over the year as we celebrated the Lord coming in and we're singing hosannas and then shortly after that he was crucified. So we remember that, we take the ashes from the, from the palms and we place it as dust in the wind upon our foreheads.
as we close our service this evening. It is a service that we will normally just leave. Um, I think Norm's going to play a little bit of a postlude. But it's a time that we now reflect, the time we journey into our Lenten season. So I'm going to offer a prayer, and then you may be dismissed. Dear God, God, as we enter this solemn and this holy season, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we might prepare ourselves for these coming 40 days of Lent. And even though we may no longer wear our sackcloth, we won't have our ashes on our foreheads. We do seek to humble ourselves so that we can understand the magnificence of your love for us as you humbled yourself and gave your life on the cross that we might receive the gift of eternal glory with you. Amen. Go in peace.